Hello, my name's David Cohen. I'm a writer with MyMac.com and I'm based in Manchester in the UK. I recently took the opportunity to travel down to London to attend Mac Expo 2005, which is the UK's premier Apple Macintosh show, and I thought what I would do was take some recording equipment along and record some impressions of the show as I was wandering around the hall. I also took the opportunity to interview a couple of vendors who had some new products that I thought MyMac.com readers and podcast listeners might be interested in. So let's fade down the music and get on with the show. Well, I've spent a good period of time wandering around the show floor now, having a look at all the stands and exhibitors, and my impressions are as follows. As you might hope, Apple has the biggest stand of the show. Um, their stand is very much focused on their latest products offering, uh, the main one obviously being the new uh, iPod with video capability. They've also got plenty of the iMac G5 on there with the uh, built-in iSight camera, and they've also got... Uh, the new powerful laptops with the higher resolution screens and slightly bulk specification. They've got some software products on show as well, um, but in general that's about it from Apple. There's no sign of the Mac Mini anywhere on the stand, which I found uh, quite interesting. Uh, and obviously uh, you can take most of their current product as a um, speed bump to keep people interested until the Intel hardware comes along. I'll talk about my impressions of the video iPod uh, and Aperture, their new photo management software, which they are demonstrating for the first time uh, in Europe today uh, in a few minutes. Elsewhere on the show, I guess because we had the Paris Expo uh, about three, four weeks back now, um, there aren't many uh, US vendors of, of products here. Um, where products are being sold, they're being sold by resellers and promoted by resellers as opposed to the, the originating vendors from the US. You know, I suppose you'd have to expect that. People don't want to mount uh, a stand uh, a month apart in, in a far-flung country, part of the world, according to them. Um, so that's to be expected, really. There are some interesting products um, and, and some things which you would hope are here which aren't. Um, the nano cases that are around are mainly the silicone skins that have been around for uh, a couple of weeks now. I was hoping to see some new uh, nano protection products, especially given the, the press that the uh, nanos received in terms of scratches and what have you. But a couple of the resellers I've spoken to have said that because of the um, disruption to U.S. supply chains from the uh, multiple hurricanes that have been experienced recently, um, that has prevented them from getting products over here from, from the U.S., even though the product has is, is actually been released and, and might be in circulation in the U.S. So I think we'll have to look forward to the, um, uh, the, the January Expo in San Francisco to, uh, to really get a, a flavor of what's going on in terms of nano protection and nano products. Uh, what, what other product there is for the, for the Nano uh, and, the vid and the video iPod is basically people are scrambling to adapt their existing product to, uh, to take these slightly different devices. I'm here with Edgar Matthias of Matthias Corporation at uh, Mac Expo London. Um, Edgar, I was just wondering if you could tell us a, a little bit about your new USB keyboard. Hi David, yes, I can definitely do that. Uh, this is our new USB 2 keyboard. 
and uh, it's uh, basically what it is. It, it's a USB keyboard that has a built-in USB 2 dock. It's the only keyboard with a USB 2 dock, uh, and it'll support pretty much any device that's USB 2. We originally did it for the iPod Shuffle, uh, but it'll work with any iPod that supports USB, and uh, as well USB 2 thumb drives, uh, USB flash drives, um, digital cameras, palms, pretty much anything that's USB or USB 2. Okay, um, let me just describe this keyboard for you. Um, I'm looking at a nice white keyboard, uh, marks up with, in the standard format with the, uh, as a standard Apple keyboard would be. Um, the, uh, the, the, actual, the actual key tops are a little different from the standard uh, Apple keyboard. How do they feel compared to a standard Apple keyboard? Uh, really nice feel. Uh, we, uh, we also make a product called the Tactile Pro, which is a mechanical key switch keyboard, right. very similar to the original Apple extended keyboards. The, uh, the force curve on the new USB 2 keyboard is very, very similar to the force curve on our Tactile Pro keyboard. So it's, uh, uh, it's what's called a nonlinear force curve. So you, when you initially press down on the key, there's a little bit extra resistance, enough to hold the weight of your hand, but once you break through that initial resistance, it goes down very smoothly. So it's more resistance at the beginning and then very little resistance at the end. It makes for a very comfortable feel. Okay, that sounds really good. Uh, and now you mentioned this supports USB 2, and I can see there's a above the function keys here. There's a uh, there's a USB connector. How how is this different from um, from you know from a USB hub or, or having something like that on your desk? Uh, okay, most USB keyboards have a USB uh, hub built in, uh, and it's a USB one hub. So it's quite slow. It'll uh, it, it's. For those, uh, those, those hubs are generally good for things like mice, trackballs, um, but if you want to do any, any higher speed device like a flash drive or a digital camera or syncing up your iPod, you need to have uh, a USB 2 connection. So uh, uh, initially when Apple came out with the USB support on, uh, on the iPods, they found that a lot of people were complaining that they tried to plug the iPod into their keyboard and it wouldn't work. Uh, that was uh, one of the initial things that, that uh, got us interested in doing USB 2 keyboard. Um, with, uh, with USB 2, you're able to uh, sync and charge your iPod, and we did it in a way that's a little different from most, uh, most of these types of devices. Uh, instead of putting a USB 2 hub in the keyboard, which would be very expensive, it would essentially double the cost of the keyboard, we, did, uh, we put a dock in there. So basically, we, we passed the, uh, the cabling for a USB 2 dock through the cable of a standard uh, USB keyboard cable, so you, you actually have two plugs on the end. You plug them both in. One goes to the keyboard and the, and the hub, and the other one goes directly to the USB 2 dock, and that's how we're able to do it. So that gives you a nice, fast, high-speed um, port on the top of your keyboard for your shuffle or your nano or, or anything like that, your digital camera. Correct, correct. And it's, uh, it, it was the least expensive approach to, to achieving that. Uh, the, the keyboard sells for $39.95. It's available for both the PC and Mac. Black version for PC, white version for Mac. Uh, the black one will also work in Tiger. 
uh, and um, uh, like you said, it will work with anything that's USB 2. It will even work with USB 1. So if you have an older machine and you want to be able to uh, plug flash drives in, uh, the USB 2 dock will work with your USB 1 machine. Obviously it won't be as fast. It will only give USB 1 speeds, but, uh, but it will work. That's great. And where, where do people go to get more information on the keyboard and to place an order? Uh, you can go to our website, which is matthias.ca, uh, or you can go directly to the page for the keyboard, which is usb2keyboard.com. So it's USB, uh, the number two, and then keyboard.com. Edgar, thank you very much, and uh, good luck with your product. Okay, thank you, David. So that was an interview with Edgar Matthias of Matthias Corporation. Um, uh, those of you who have used the Tactile Pro keyboard that, that uh, Matthias have made in the past will want to know that, the, uh, as, as, as Edgar said, the, uh, the new keyboard is slightly different technology underneath, but they've worked very hard to try and make the feel uh, much the same as the Tactile Pro. So if that was something you liked, then this new USB 2 keyboard might be something of interest to you. Um, from my own point of view, I've not used the Tactile Pro. I, I use the standard Apple keyboard on my Power Mac G5 at home. Um, and the standard Apple keyboard I find is, is fine. Um, the, it's very well built and obviously matches the uh, Power Mac nicely, but I do find the shape and feel of the keys, uh, certainly the edge of the keys is a little bit sharp to my fingers and sometimes that, that uh, leads me to miss key things. Um, the Matthias keyboard that, that we were just talking about uh, look, looks, while it's white, it does look very much like more conventional uh, PC keyboard. Um, I, I've done a lot of work on PCs in the past and I found it had a very nice feel. Um, it was, I would say, it certainly wasn't a cheap keyboard in terms of, uh, in terms of PC feeling keyboards. It certainly didn't feel cheap or, or, or rattly or and it certainly didn't uh, rattle at all when you pressed on the keys. I got us quite a nice typing speed on it. Uh, the inclusion of that USB 2 port right there on the uh, top of the keyboard I think is a very good feature. Um, certainly, given the relatively low price of the keyboard, I would be tempted to buy one myself. They're not available here in the UK yet because Matthias have had to do some customization for different markets, um, so they're, they're looking to ship those here in December. So they are available uh, shipping now in the US for uh, our US listeners. Um, the keyboards are marked up with the, uh, all the uh, option symbols and, and alt symbols that the Macintosh can provide actually right there on the key if you buy the white Macintosh version, which is another bonus as well. Uh, myself, having come from PCs, I do find it quite difficult trying to figure out where some of the more obscure keystrokes are, and the fact that it would be there on the keyboard would also be, a, be a, an attraction to me. The only downside from it, I see, is, is that you obviously lose two USB, USB ports on your machine um, because you have one that's feeding the USB 2 port on the keyboard and the other one's feeding the secondary USB hub on the keyboard. Um, so those of you with a Mac Mini thinking about that might want to bear that in mind that if you plug it directly in the back of your Mac Mini then you lose both your USB ports but uh, the use of a, a, a USB 2 hub is, is obviously going to help you out there. The advantage of the USB 2 port on the Matthias keyboard is, of course, it's, it's right there, right where you're working. So if you do want to plug a shuffle or a memory stick or a, uh, a camera into it, then you can plug it in right there rather than having to dive around the back of a hub. Certainly my USB hub at home always seems to be right in the back of my desk or falling off the back of my desk and actually getting something into it or taking something out is, uh, is a bit difficult, really. So 
having a, a USB port presented right there at the front is, is going to be a, a, a bonus to any user who's interested in that. So I would, uh, I would certainly encourage you to have a look at those, and hopefully um, we'll we'll get a chance to do a, a more formal product review on mymac.com later on. Now I mentioned that on the Apple stand they were promoting their new Aperture photo management software. I sat down and watched a half hour demonstration of this uh, this new product and it really is a fantastic piece of software. It left me very excited and impressed. Uh, I am a digital photographer myself, um, uh, only as a hobbyist, but one of the problems with digital photography is the quantity of images you tend to take and actually managing and processing a large quantity of images if you spent a day out taking photos is a real challenge. Uh, Aperture is, is meant to is is meant to fit into your workflow of that and really be the the primary method for workflow for uh, managing that import and, and adjustment and layout of photos and really choosing the photos that you want to keep and the ones that you don't want to keep uh, and doing all the adjustments. So it's kind of a halfway house. It's 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 you uh, imagine it's iPhoto on steroids. It would be one way of putting at it putting it. It's um, you know very good at, at doing things that iPhoto can do now, but it does them in a much more professional uh, and um, professional photography orientated manner. Um, so so that, that's really good. But what, it, what it's not intended to be is a replacement for Photoshop. Uh, while it does do quite a lot of adjustment to images and modification of images and management of images, there are things that it doesn't do. And it integrates very well with Photoshop. Uh, you can export images straight out to Photoshop and round trip them straight back again seamlessly without having to save files and then open them in a different application, which, which is a very nice feature. Um, one of the principal features for uh, professional photographers or people who are going beyond using a compact um, point-and-shoot type camera is that the, uh, the product supports RAW format natively. Uh, RAW format is when a camera doesn't process the image it captures at all. Um, and turn it into a JPEG or anything like that. It literally just stores the raw values. Uh, ordinarily, those raw um, photographs can't be viewed directly on a on a uh, Mac. They have to be processed in normally in, in Photoshop using uh, a raw plugin, or alternatively in the camera vendor's own software. Um, but uh, uh, this new piece of software from Apple is, is capable of, of, of opening them directly and working with them directly. Now, these files are huge because they are completely unprocessed and uncompressed. Um, and on the hardware that they had running on the Apple stand today, there was basically no slowdown at all. Uh, the way Aperture works is it takes these raw images and then rather than, as you, as you amend and make changes to them, rather than modifying them, it basically just stores all the modifications in a database. Um, obviously on a, on a powerful Mac running a database application on a, on a G5 or, or faster, um, that's very quick and also makes extensive use of the core image which was the uh, new a graphics subsystem that was brought in with Tiger um, to actually uh, modify and, and, and display the images on the fly on, on the machine. Uh, and it really is a very nice piece of software. You can effectively import images while they're importing off your card. You can be working on other images 
images. Um, you can, uh, the, the software will automatically look at the timestamps and the images and group them together in terms of, of shots. If you took, I don't know, 10, 15 shots of a particular scene, then walked on for a bit and took 10 more shots of a different scene, it would see those groupings of timestampings and will automatically group the machine, the uh, photos together in the machine. Um, which is a, is a fantastic feature because it's used to dealing with, uh, because it's able to deal with raw files, what it can do is it can actually uh, adjust for exposure uh, and, and all the sorts of tweaks and stuff that you might want to do on, a, on, a, on an image, um, which you can't always do with a JPEG because a JPEG, as it's saved, it throws information from the original image away. Um, in raw mode, you're not doing that, and as I said, uh, because it's using a database to store some modifications to the image, all the uh, modifications to the image are non-destructive, and they can be rolled back. Uh, they can even be pasted to multiple images at the same time, which is a, a great time-saving feature. They, they showed a demo where they'd adjusted the white balance of a shot that was taken indoors that was very yellow from the, from the indoor lighting, and then took four or five different, completely different shots which were taken in the same room and basically dropped that white balance adjustment onto them and fixed them straight away without having to go do it for each one, which uh, if you've got a lot of images to adjust is, is good as a real time saver. The uh, program works very much like a real photography tool, so there's a special loop tool that allows you to zoom in and check focus. There's, uh, that's available throughout the application. There's um, all sorts of extensive uh, processing tools for adjusting perspectives, adjusting rotation, all the sorts of things that you might get in Photoshop, but the difference is, is that this is in a very much an, uh, an iPhoto type environment where you can apply these, these modifications on the fly. And it really is um, a, you know, a very impressive program, and I can imagine that digital photographers will be scrambling to get it in their uh, photography arsenal once it's once it's released in about in about a month's time. So that was nice to see. I also had a good look at the video iPod, which was not something I'd, I'd had a chance to see up until now. Um, it's, it's a weird optical illusion with the video iPod because it looks wider than older iPods. It isn't because they're still using the same iPod docks that they always use, and I actually did ask specifically one of the Apple staff on the stand if it was any wider, and they said, no, it's not, it's exactly the same. But because the screen on it is bigger, it makes the whole machine look slightly wider. It's extremely thin. Uh, I picked up a 30-gig model, and it, it wasn't... It was probably about the thickness of maybe two, two and a half nanos in terms of, in terms of thickness, so really not, not very big at all. Um, the screen is very bright. There's the, the show hall we're in today has, um, has effectively a glass ceiling, so you're completely open to the sunlight, and it's a nice sunny day here in London today. Um, but despite that, the iPod was perfectly read, readable in the, in the bright direct sunlight, um, which, was, which was nice. Um, obviously, having a good screen, the bright screen is going to be important for viewing video on it. Though I, I don't know what it quite what it does to the battery life. And um, I had a look at some. They had some video loaded on on the iPods. There, they had some of these Pixar shorts that uh, that were created to promote Pixar a few years back um, that you can buy off the iTunes Music Store. Uh, and um, they also had some music videos on there as well. Uh, and I watched through a couple of them, and it, it's really quite a pleasant experience. The screen is rather small, 
If you're used to watching video on something like a Sony PSP or uh, an Arcos portable media center, then obviously it's much smaller than that. But it is very sharp. Um, so it is quite watchable. I think where it's going to fall down in terms of watching video or, or long video on it is, is not so going to be so much the ergonomics of watching the screen, but the ergonomics of holding the device. I certainly find when I'm watching video on my PSP, my Sony PlayStation Portable, that I like to um, prop, prop it up on something and, and leave it on a desk and watch video on it if I'm travelling on a train or something like that. Um, obviously, you can't. it's a lot harder to do that with an iPod because it's that much smaller and thinner and lighter and is, uh, is also in a portrait format rather than a, uh, a, a landscape format in terms of the, uh, the unit. And, and I suspect if, if anybody wants to watch, I don't know, an hour-long movie or an hour-long TV show they've recorded uh, and they just hold the iPod in their hand, they'll find it quite uncomfortable after a few minutes. That was certainly the impression I got from it. Um, the other disappointing thing for, for those of us on this side of the pond is that none of the video iPods here had any um, television content, the episodes of Lost or, or the other ABC shows that are being uh, sold dollar sold $1.99 on the uh, US iTunes Music Store um, because they're not licensed to be sold over here, which is a really a shame because one of the things that we would appreciate is being able to see episodes of popular American shows maybe a bit earlier than... than being able to see them transmitted on terrestrial television here in the UK, uh, and I'm sure that plenty of UK iPod owners would be prepared to pay £1.99 or maybe a pound for that privilege, um, but uh, the licensing is such that we can't do that at the moment, so that's kind of a shame. I, I guess my impression of the iPod really is that, um, bearing in mind that they're no more expensive now than they were before they had video capability, it's a nice bonus for Apple to have thrown in effectively for free, but I, I feel this is probably definitely first generation of video on iPods and um, certainly the service with iTunes and the, uh, and the AP device themselves will be developed further in the future. So my advice would be if you, uh, you haven't bought an iPod and you were thinking about buying one, by all means go out and buy one and enjoy it. Uh, I'm not sure that if I had a full-size iPod I would be driven to upgrade just for the video capability. Um, I might be driven to upgrade by the fact that you get slightly more storage um, and you're getting a slightly lighter iPod, but I don't think the video on its own would be enough to uh, suggest to me that I should go out and buy one. Um, but there you go. I, I guess it's, uh, as we say over here, you pay your money and you take your choice. It's certainly nice that they've included the functionality, bearing in mind that um, it's been well publicised in the past that Steve Jobs did not think there was a market for video iPods. So the fact that they've actually gone and done it is, uh, is a bonus, I think. Um, similarly, with the, uh, the PowerBooks and the uh, iMac G5s, um, which have been revised. The uh, PowerBooks have, as I say, have the slightly higher resolution now and slightly faster processors. The uh, iMac G5s are slightly thinner, they have the built-in eyesight, and they have the front row software that allows you to um, use, use an infrared remote to watch video and photos and listen to music and that sort of thing. Again, if I had, I don't have a, a, one of the latest uh, versions of the PowerBook and I don't have an iMac either. I'm not sure if I did have one, I would be. Again, press to upgrade. It's, it's, it's again nice that Apple have modified these devices and made them better rather than trying to run out the product lines as they were. But clearly they are just trying to tweak them before the, uh, before the Intel 
revisions to the product range come on stream next year. Um, the G5 is the iMac G5 is fine. Uh, you can't really tell it's any thinner than the old one unless you have the two of them side by side. Um, it's not that much of a dramatic difference. Um, Built-in nightside camera again is, a, is a, a nice inclusion, but I'm not sure how many people will actually make use of that sort of thing. Um, uh, the front row software is, is actually very good. It's really clear icons, nice and easy to use. The infrared remote looks a, bit, a little bit like a, an iPod shuffle, but uh, it, it is only a piece of software. There's nothing special about it specific to the G5, and I actually took note yesterday that there are already modified copies being passed around the internet that allow it to run on, on any Mac and not just the, the new iMac G5. Um, so that, that, that's an interesting one. I wonder if that will point to Apple releasing Front Row as a, as a software add-on for all Macs in the future. But uh, at the moment, I, I, again, I don't think with the, the, the G5, the slight speed bump and the slight added extras they put in would drive me to sell up one if I had, a, had one and go and replace it. I'd rather wait for the Intel ones. But certainly if you're in the market for one today, it's nice to get that extra value for, uh, for not very much more money. Uh, similarly with the PowerBooks, uh, the resolution of the screen was, was fantastic, it was certainly uh, very very nice to look at, but it didn't jump out at me when I was looking at them that it was substantially higher than the older PowerBooks I've seen. So um, it's not going to draw people in just on its own. Uh, I still like the, the aluminium PowerBooks, I think they're very nice machines, but uh, again I don't think there's a... An, there's enough of a sell there to make people upgrade older PowerBooks, unless they're really old. I mean, if you have a titanium machine that's running a very slow processor then and you need a new PowerBook, it breaks or something like that, then that would probably be a good reason to buy a new one. But I, I suspect, again, people will, particularly in the, uh, in the portable laptop uh, market, people will want to wait for the Intel revisions that are coming this year bearing in mind that the uh, Intel chipsets are reported to run uh, much cooler and much uh, more power efficiently. So I would say it, unless you desperately need a PowerBook today, again, it's probably worth holding on. And I'm here with Neil Farrow from Monitor Audio. Um, Neil, you've got a new product here on the show today called the iDeck for the iPod. Um, that's a, a kind of a docking system and speaker system. I was wondering, could you tell me, um, obviously there are other products on the market from uh, people like Logitech and from Harman Kardon and from Bose. Uh, how does your product differ from those in terms of uh, what you hear when you plug your iPod into it? Well, we've tried to raise the bar a bit um, and turn it more into a hi-fi, mini hi-fi system for your home rather than a, a computer speaker outfit. We've, uh, we've taken our normal hi-fi technology into the speakers, so we've got separate tweeter, separate mid-bass, uh, gives you better clarity, goes louder, generally takes the bar a bit higher. Uh, Monitor Audio have been in speakers for some time. You're a UK-based company in speakers, yes? Yes, yeah, been around since 1972. Okay, and um, it, it, obviously the product is, is, I mean, there's only so many ways you can do this thing. You effectively slot your iPod in the middle, you've got speakers on either side. But your product is, is the way, way it works a little bit different from, the, uh, from the, the speaker systems we've seen before. Yeah, we've got uh, two things, I think. You've got separate speakers to start with, which again emphasizes the hi-fi angle. Uh, and also the docking is, is a bezel system, what we call a bezel system. It's like a, a plastic cradle. Um, that holds the iPod and we've got different bezels for different iPods. And those are all included in the box? They are, yes. Uh, including the Nano? 
Yeah, the, uh, the Nano we are just taking delivery of. Uh, that will be available free online for any iDeck uh, owner. Uh, but the 5G, the new 5G, actually uh, has an existing fit with a bezel we have already. So, so anybody who's got any sort of iPod, uh, I presume with the exception of the shuffle, but the shuffle can be plugged in via the auxiliary 3.5mm jack at the back. Right, so effectively you support the entire range. That's refreshing. <laughs> it's there. We think we've got it cornered. <laughs> and in, in terms of the, the look of the unit, obviously your speakers aren't directly attached to the middle portion. They actually come, come outside. What advantages does that offer to the user in terms of what they hear when they're using it at home? Well, it just gives them a better soundstage, as it would do with a normal hi-fi system, a higher-end hi-fi system at home. You've got uh, five feet of cable either side, so you've got a, approximately about ten-foot expanse if you wanted to. Uh, and the speakers have also got a, um, a thread in the back so you can wall mount them as well. Okay, so it really could come, come in and replace your entire hi-fi system. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of uh, how you connect your iPod to your computer, I mean, have you, have you taken care of that as part of, part of this system? Yes, we've got a 30 pin that can uh, connect to the computer via the Firewire USB connection. Right, so you could actually uh, sync your iTunes while, the, while you were playing? Yes, you can, yeah. That's fantastic. And does it include a remote, just the same as many other systems do? Yeah, it's, a, it's an RF remote, so it's a radio frequency, I think it's 2.4 gigahertz or something. So it's got about a 10 meter radius, uh, so it's non-directional. Um, so if you're in the kitchen and the system's in the lounge or whatever, you know, it's no problem. So you're not needing that line of sight at all? No, no not at all. And in terms of uh, people getting more information and pricing and distribution for the product, where should they go? Uh, our website is idec.com, so that's i or hyphen dec.com, idec.com. I'll make sure that I put that in the show notes. Uh, and if, any, uh, if anybody wants to see the products live, um, are you, is, there, is there opportunity for them to see it? Can they go down to the local store or...? Yeah, we've got uh, retailers on board now, so apart from these sort of shows like, like today, we're going to be in major retailers like Comet, uh, Apple are taking on Apple Europe, um, uh, John Lewis, uh, I mean the list goes on. Uh, but also on top of that, um, sometimes it's hard to demo a product in a large retail shop. We've also got our, our normal hi-fi distribution that we've had for years in the UK as well and around the world. So they are sometimes better places to, uh, to demo the product. And obviously, I presume uh, um, US users can, can go to your website and get details about their local retailer who might be carrying the product. They can. There's a, there's a search facility on the US website. Okay. Neil, thanks very much for your time. And you may be wondering what the uh, Monitor Audio iDeck actually sounds like live. Uh, I did try and record it, but unfortunately due to the limitations of the recording equipment I have with me today, I didn't really think that I did it justice. But uh, let me tell you that uh, Monitor Audio had a very small stand right next to the Bose stand. Uh, and in my opinion, their product absolutely blew away the sound dock, which is an equivalently priced uh, and, and marketed product for the iPod. Um, it really did sound fantastic, and you can really crank it up all the way as well, and it will continue to give you clean audio, whereas the, uh, the sound dock normally can't do that. Um, I've had monitor audio equipment speakers and stuff in the past and they really know what they're doing uh, and I think this product is going to be massive. If you do want to actually have a, a live listen to it and you can't get to a retailer but you live in either the Las Vegas or the San Francisco areas, um, Neil did mention to me that monitor audio will be demonstrating the product at CES uh, and then at the uh, Mac World Expo in next January in San Francisco. 
So uh, if this is the sort of thing that floats your boat, uh, and certainly it floats mine, I'm certainly, after listening to this, thinking about dumping all my CDs and my hi-fi and just getting one of these instead. Um, if that's what you're interested in, then I would definitely would recommend you, you check this product out. Hopefully we'll have a review of it on the MyMac.com website over the next couple of months. Award for the most um, off-the-wall stand at Mac Expo London would have to go to Sony, who have a largest stand um, right next to the Apple stand, right in the centre of the of the expo, uh, and their stand is populated with a large number of Windows PC products, uh, monitors which look like monitors but are in fact Windows PCs. Um, a lot of Sony via laptops which obviously run Windows XP um, and then a lot of supporting equipment like printers and um, uh, other sorts of devices that, that hook up to PCs and I know from personal experience that Sony's support of Macintosh platforms in terms of native OSX support is not very strong so um, the fact that they've taken so much floor space here today and um, are trying to peddle so much uh, Windows XP products really is it's quite amusing. So that's been a quick half an hour of my experiences at Mac World Expo 2005 in London. I hope you found it interesting and enjoyable. Please provide feedback at davidcohen at mymac.com and that email address together with references to everything that's been discussed in the show will be in the show notes. Music in the show has been from Paisley Riot who are an independent non-signed band based in Birmingham here in the UK and you can find them on the Podsafe Music Network. Again, I'll put links in the show notes. My name's David Cohen, and thanks for listening. Bye.